dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Most people dread conflict. It's a simple fact. In the life of a leader, however, conflict is necessary. As a matter of fact, many organizational leadership models teach you to mine for conflict, try to find it out and flush it out. But is this really the role that Christ wants us to play as Christians? When can conflict be healthy? When is it to be avoided at all costs? What does Christ have to say about this? Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be back with you again. And we have this chance to study sacred scripture as it relates to leadership. And I'm looking especially today at the various ways where scripture reveals to us what Christ's mission is, because I find that that's extremely helpful for teaching us what our mission is as Christians today. We follow, in other words, in the footsteps of Christ. As he has been sent into the world, so have we. And so what does he have to say about his mission? What does scripture say about his mission? I want to focus us in today, especially on Luke chapter 2. But just like always, we need to begin with a prayer. Just invoke the Holy Spirit of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, looking at Luke chapter 2, we come to the presentation of our Lord in the temple. And, you know, this passage really is enigmatic for many of us because we're not really well-versed in Judaism. We're not well-versed in the Old Testament and in the law of God, especially with respect to ritualistic practices. And so for many of us, this mystery kind of is one that we skip over. It's the fourth joyful mystery of the rosary, and we come to it, and we really don't know what to say. I mean, how much of this actually applies to us in, in our life today? I've got good news for you. A lot. <laughs> God's word is infinitely rich and every single passage can be applied, in fact, must be applied to us in our Christian life. So what is God saying in this particular scene? We can read it together here. Go ahead and open your Bibles. It's Luke chapter 2. Jesus is presented in the temple. Okay. So verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Right away, we know this is, the, this is the language of mission. 
What, the idea here is that the firstborn that God gives to the, the world, be it three animals, be it, or the first fruits of the earth, belongs back to God. And so God says, I want all of humanity to recognize that it belongs to me. A sinful world will have replaced me with yourselves, right? So a sinner, what we do when we sin is we exalt ourselves to take the place of God. We control our lives. We dictate what's right and wrong. We live according to how we think we should live. And we just kind of can let God just be somewhere else. It's the, it's the, really the sign of this is a practical atheism. In a theoretical atheism, we deny God's existence speculatively in our thoughts. We try to prove that God does not exist. In practical atheism, it's much more insidious. We just act like God doesn't exist. We could even know that God exists. He's true and his son, we could even say we believe in him, kind of. But when really we get down to it, we don't do anything about it. We don't pray differently. We don't go to Mass every Sunday and on every Holy Day of Obligation like we're supposed to. We, we just kind of like exclude that aspect. Uh, thinking that maybe when we're dead or when we're dying, we'll then turn back to the Lord. And, because we don't really understand how He fits into our life. We don't understand how all that we're striving to make happen as leaders and as influencers of our world around us, what role that actually has to play. So we just skip him. <laughs> we put God on hold. That's practical atheism. I practically live as if God did not exist. All right. And so what does God say? He's like, in order to keep that back, I'm asking that the very first thing that comes from your work, either with your livestock or with the ground or even your children, be dedicated back to me. So for livestock, of course, and fruits, that meant sacrifice. And so they'd bring their first fruits back to the temple and they would sacrifice them. They would take their firstborn calf, their first, you know, firstborn lamb, and they would sacrifice it back to God. So what are you going to do with the human being? Well, you're not going to kill the human being, but you are still commanded by God to dedicate it. So God said, you can replace that with a sacrifice of an animal instead. And for a poor family who can't afford maybe the animal that they're supposed to sacrifice will give you the option of sacrificing two small doves, two turtle doves, because you can afford that. But there must be a sacrifice made, meaning the firstborn thing belongs to God. And immediately we see here the place of Christ and his mission in the world. Why did Christ come? He came to bring humanity back to the Father. In other words, to bridge the gap that exists between us who are sinners and God who is perfect. He is the sacrifice that repairs and restores our relationship with God. By his blood, we are healed, right? So automatically we see this, and this is what this, the situation is. So Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. And instead, of course, of sacrificing a human being, which God would never command, they sacrifice the turtle doves. Right? Now there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And as it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, Right? Christ in Greek, Christos, it means anointed. 
So before he'd re receive the one who was anointed and therefore sent by God, so that anointing in the Old Testament was reserved to priests, prophets, and kings, people who were sent into the world with a mission. They received this anointing, this unction of the Holy Spirit to accomplish their mission. And so Simeon is there in the temple and he is waiting to see the Lord's anointed one, the one whom God would send, the Messiah. Verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that is to fulfill the law by the sacrifice, right, of the animals, therefore dedicating Christ back to God, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here Simeon, in fact, is teaching us, showing us the mission of Christ. He's come to bring light to the Gentiles and to be the glory of Israel. How? By bringing salvation. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. I just love sacred scripture, and I love the way that God puts things together that we never would put together. You know, when you read Luke chapter 2 here, you see Christ came for salvation. He came for, to bring light for revelation to the Gentiles. He came to bring glory to the people of Israel, right? Like, we think this is just, you know, wonderful. Salvation is going to be something that is good. And most of us identify goodness with a lack of conflict. So since Christ is coming to save, he's coming to bring light, glory, therefore we think of peace. We just think everything's going to come up roses. That's what surprises us about what happens next. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What a prophecy. This is incredible because who would, it, who would have ever put salvation, light, and glory with the rising and the falling of many and a word to be spoken against, a sign of contradiction, in Greek, it is Simeon antilegomenon. Simeon is a sign, antilegomenon, anti, against, legomenon, spoken. In other words, he is someone that people will attack. He's someone that people will speak against. I, immediately, you say to yourself, like, how, how are those two together? And you can understand Joseph and Mary's position here in verse 33 after he says he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, and who wouldn't, right? Like, this is just such good news. And, 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 and yet, right after that, 
it's almost like God isn't afraid to show us that the salvation that we long for and the mission that Christ came to accomplish of bringing men back to God, of uniting, you know, all of our souls and the grace that comes from God, this, this work of salvation, which would be a light and glory, is going to be worked out in a world where he would not be accepted. That the Savior would have to fight to do his job of saving. This is such a sign. How many times in leadership do we, are, do we take offense at the fact that as leaders we have to fight to make people's lives better? As parents, this is a classic example, right? You're like, there's nothing harder that you could possibly do than try to rear your children correctly. Bringing them up to know God. And everything's easy when they're four, you know? But when they turn 14, suddenly they're little atheists running around. Or, you know, and, and you're like, well, how did I do, what did I do to deserve this? Then they turn 20 and 24 and 28. They, they end up moving out, moving in with their girlfriend, moving in with their boyfriend. Even if you oppose them, you say to yourself, why is this so hard? And what happens a lot of times in our, in our leadership is that when, when we hit that conflict, we assume that we've done something wrong. Almost that, that conflict is the sign of failure. When in fact, here Simeon is saying that conflict is very well the sign of success. Why? Because when you stand for what is right, you stand for truth, you're going to find yourself in opposition to those who are wrong or who f stand for lies. And in our culture today, modern-day America, it's almost like getting into conflict is worse than being wrong. You, you would rather be told that you're right, even if you're wrong, than stand alone and in, in opposition to other people. You know the famous story of the emperor who has no clothes, right? There was an emperor who was told that he was wearing clothes and had all the people say that they loved his garment and in fact he had no clothes on. <laughs> and so it, it, it's kind of like the way that we could, we could go through our lives today just because everybody says it's acceptable to act this or that way. We all go the way that we think everybody says. And, and we don't want to be the one that stands out. So it's much, more, it's much easier, in other words, to, to lead by following than it is to lead by leading. We, we trade in our leadership into following someone else. And what's so cool about Christ, of course, is that Christ wants us to follow him and not the zeitgeist of the world. I mean, when you say this is what everybody accepts, why do you say that? You say that because in our media and in our culture, there are norms of acceptance. There's like a, a communication that's gone out, a memo that went out throughout the whole country that said, this is how we will accept to believe. This is what we will say. This is what we will speak. This is the way that you will act. And if you don't act this way, you will be disapproved of by society, by people in general. But when you think about it, who is it that dictated that law? You know, the ones who dictated that law were the ones that had enough courage to lead and to try to mold the world in their thoughts. 
They were the dancers and the singers and the, the artists who put on the different artistic displays that set that cultural norm. And they were the television and the media experts who accepted this or that cultural norm or who even enforced it, encouraging it or saying that you will not have the platform to speak unless you speak this way. And since they have such a loud platform, the little people at the bottom just assume that everybody's thinking this way. When in fact, is it the case? You see, one way or the other, you're always following someone. My question to you is, wouldn't it be better to follow Christ and to listen to what he says and to submit your will to him than to follow whoever it is that's dictating to us in popular culture about how we'll be? I'm not saying that anybody's wrong or anybody's right in any position in popular culture. I'm simply saying you cannot afford not to have one yourselves. And that Jesus Christ, who has baptized you, did not baptize you to be a lemming, to let your mind just be molded by any other, the spirits of the air, as St. Paul says. The, 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 the people around you that are just talking, you belong to Christ. You belong to the light and to the day. You're a child of God and of his glory. But you've got to seize that dignity of your personal freedom and the personal adherence of your mind to the truth. The moment that you do, the truth can set you free because it's something that you hold and you've discovered that's greater than you and greater than all the opinions that are around you. And when that truth sets you free, it makes you a leader, someone who's destined for the fall and the rise of many, and who will be spoken against, yes. <laughs> but it doesn't matter if I'm spoken against. What matters is what I'm speaking for. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. You know, I think in, in so many of our lives, we encounter conflict and we encounter conflict often in our leadership. We try to bring the people underneath us up where we try to steer our ship amongst the, the many different stones and threats that can, that can happen to us. And a, as a leader, it's, it's hard to to let that happen, right? To actually accept that conflict has a role to play because the reason we're leading is we want to make the world better. We want to bring it to peace, right? If I, if I assume responsibility in a conversation, it's not to make it worse. You know, if I, if I step up in a situation and I try to exert an influence over it, it's because I want to make it better, right? I have something positive to contribute. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it at all. And especially we who are Christians, that's the way we live our lives. We, we're here to make things better, not worse. And so it's oftentimes a bit of a guilt trip when we upset people. You know, I'm thinking of conversations I've had with my brother priests, you know, and a priests, are, priests are a unique bird <laughs> because a priest is trained to help people in every condition, even those who are opposed to you. It doesn't matter. Like we are like the professional helpers. We're supposed to go up into any situation and bring growth, right? So as a priest, like one of your primary characteristics is your ability to modulate yourself, to hear the person in front of you, wherever they are, and to try to bring them forward. You're a professional educator. Uh, we're called fathers for a reason, right? Because 
A father is unconditionally accepting and always available in order to help their children. And so what we end up doing a lot of times as priests especially is that we put harmony and flexibility in front of truth. In other words, what's most important is that I adapt. And as a priest especially, you spend the majority of your time listening. It's one of the reasons why I love speaking so much. It gives me, it's like my revenge, right? I get, I get finally to get a microphone and I can make some noise out there because most of the time you spend listening, listening to the other person. And you, your first meeting, your first months of meeting, your first year of meeting a person, you know, it's adjusting and learning where they're at and little by little getting them to take baby steps. Priests are masters at the long game. But it means that sometimes we put the long game so long that we end up never hitting the goal at all. And I've had many conversations where, it, you know, the person's like, we can't say that, we're going to offend that person. And there's a valid point there, right? You can, you can ruin your influence by not taking into enough account how your words can affect somebody. But at the same time, if that's the number one criteria for whether you speak or not, well, there can also be a failure in leadership. Because upsetting people ought not be the primary thing to avoid in life. Letting people live in error ought to be the number one thing to avoid in life. You know, there's a great saying I love very much from, from St. Philip Neri, who was an Italian priest who lived, you know, several hundred years ago in Italy. And he said this, he said, the priest ought to be a lion from the pulpit and a lamb in the confessional. A lion in the pulpit and a lamb in the confessional. Let him release the word of God in all of its strength when he's speaking to the multitudes. And when he's speaking to individuals, let him be gentle and find the right way to apply that universal truth into the individual circumstances of a person's life. It's a, it's a principle that I think we can adapt in our leadership in many ways. Like when, I, when I'm setting forth my vision, and, and when I'm leading my, my world around me, let me not be bashful about the right way to go. Always keep in mind that the enemies of goodness, those who are purporting things that, upon which people can stumble, those who are leading in corruption in our society, in our world, they are not bashful about what they propose. They have no problem taking the microphone at the Super Bowl and doing whatever they want to do in front of a billion people watching. You know, they, they, they don't hesitate to sell things. They don't... The, the agents of, of culture are always those who want to speak. Why is it that the sons and daughters of light don't seem to want to speak as loudly as those who are leading us in darkness? Why is it that you have allowed someone else to dominate your children's discourse and the discourse that goes on in the mind of your spouse? I don't know, but I'm here to wake you up in the name of Christ. Do not be afraid of contradiction. Christ came as a sign to be spoken against. Simeon antilegomenon. A sign to be spoke, a sign of being spoken against. This is an incredible, powerful truth that speak, people speak against me ought not to be my primary preoccupation. Okay, now at that being said, of course, we need to be extremely sensitive to trying to get people to follow us and definitely offending people is not the goal. The goal is not to offend people. The goal is to speak the truth. The goal is not to offend people. The goal is to speak the truth as lovingly, as gently, as accurately as you possibly can. But also to be clear about the direction that we're taking. When it's a question of human rights, human decency, 
the, the upholding of the truth of what God has given us in this world. We must not be silent because when you are silent, the poor are the ones who suffer, the innocent, the unborn, the aged, those who can't speak for themselves, our youth. I mean, just think about the importance of, of this sign of contradiction with respect to winning over the public discourse that are resounding around our young people. I mean, if we want to teach them the path that is right in this world, the path to walk on, the path that is given to us by God's holy word, well, don't you think it's the time for heroes to rise? And those heroes, well, it's you. I mean, if you're the one that's their boss at work, how many young workers are looking to see if there's meaning in work and if their careers can be a place that also integrates their family values into their life? Would it be nice if the workplace actually re-emphasized the family values that they, they need to espouse at home about decency and courtesy, politeness, gentleness, sharing? Wouldn't it be terrible if they go to work every day and their heroes at work, their bosses, are the ones that are actually leading a bad example of materialism and hedonism, using people, competitive spirit. This is not the way it's supposed to be. How can you live a good family life at home if at work you're being encouraged to live and incentivized by your bosses to live in a way that's completely different from the way that you need to live at home? We end up putting religion with the family and we leave the workplace as a huge vacuum to be claimed. Well, I want you to claim it in the name of Christ. You were sent into that leadership position and the, where you exert your leadership in your workplace in order that the people underneath you learn how to work well, how to live well, how to cooperate well. Our working environments ought to be a place where our society is cleansed and established on firm foundations so that the family life at home can actually be edified by what the workers experience there at the workplace and not, not to the contrary. My friends, when Christ came into this world, he came as a sign to be spoken against. He was saying something. His life signified a position that was positive and other people didn't appreciate it. That doesn't matter. Speak that sign that is positive. Christ has put you into this world in his footsteps to be a sign as well. May our words be positive and may our sign be brilliant, a testimony to the truth of the goodness and the dignity and the vocation of every individual in whom we come into contact. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.